Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Today is the fourth. Another three, four days. We'll have elections in U.S. Even the California governor, Gavin Nuisance, I call him Gavin Nuisance, says there's a red wave. <laughs> Even they are admitting finally. Let's hope it's a tsunami. And we have some breathing space in the world. God, the demonic reset. And God says, you must be kidding me. I do the resets. So we shall believe, we shall believe. We shall pray for Ace also. At his age, the next five days he has four rallies. And each of the rallies he speaks for two and a half hours. And uh, I mean, all sudden and you have to admire his strength. Biden can't speak for five minutes without messing it up. <laughs> he had the audacity to say on live television he knew the founder of insulin. So he must be around 200 years old. <laughs> Shame <laughs> for a guy. You feel sorry for it. Anyway, now that we are relaxed, we shall look to the word. Father, this morning we come to you, Lord. Yes, Father, you will expose all these people, Lord. The kings of the earth come together. They rage, but you sit in heaven and you laugh at them. And we shall laugh with you, Lord. Because we know who you are. And we know whose we are. So we, Father, we have read the end of the book. We know the end of the story. And that's the only story that is true. That they lived happily forever. The prince and his bride. And we just want to thank you. We are grateful. Because we didn't choose you. You chose us. It was just an act of mercy. Just an act of mercy. You said I show mercy to whom? I show mercy. And we just are grateful. That the very fact that we are here today in your presence is an act of mercy. Even this morning your mercy was new. Thank you Father. Thank you, thank you, Lord. So we truly will enter your gates with thanksgiving in our heart and your courts with praise. For you are worthy of praise, worthy of our adoration, honor, power. All belongs to you, Lord. As we look into your word, continue to teach us, Lord. Continue to teach us. Because this is about your kingdom. And it's getting closer and closer and closer, Lord. We do not want to enter into your kingdom one day knowing very little when so much is available now. So teach us, Lord. Teach us. 
let there be an excitement in our hearts and our minds, O oh Lord, as we hear about your kingdom, because that's where we are all going. Thank you, thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, amen. Now, if somebody were to say that in the U.S., lottery, you got your green card. There's a lottery, you know, there's a lottery by which you can get a green card. You know how excited people would be? (laughs) Going to U.S., green card. And we hear about the kingdom. There must be some kind of an excitement, okay? Eyes haven't seen nor ears heard what the kingdom of God is like. So we go to Revelation chapter 10 and verse 7. Thank you. Tin din aruma jab satam sargudud. Okay. But in the days of the sounding of the seventh angel. Okay, read it carefully. Okay, okay, you read it through your Bible, read through your Bible, read through your Bible, then read each verse word by word. Not in the day, but in the days of the sounding of the seventh angel. Okay, so when this angel blows the trumpet also, it is not in five minutes or ten minutes. That's a period of time this trumpet sound will go. In the days of the sounding of this seventh angel, when he is about to sound. Very complicated sentence, okay? He hasn't sounded, but when he's about to sound, and as he is sounding, the mystery of God would be finished. It would be finished. As he has declared to his servants the prophets. So, this has been declared. It's a mystery, but it has been declared to his servants, the prophets. If it has not been declared to his servants, his prophets, it will forever remain a mystery. We cannot understand, know it until we reach there. But it has been declared to his servants, his prophets. Okay, And when the seventh angel, those days or whenever it happens, when it happens, that is when the mystery of God. So all the mysteries that has been revealed, if you want to call it in one word, it is called the mystery of God. The mystery of God. Okay, In Matthew 13 and verse 11, it is called the mysteries of the kingdom of God. He answered and said to them, because it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. So you need to realize these mysteries, the mystery of God, called the mysteries of the kingdom of God, is given to some and not given to some. So if it is not given, you can do whatever you want. You will not know it. So we are privileged by salvation, by entering into the kingdom of God. We have access to those mysteries. It is given to us. It is given to us. Meaning it is possible. I'm not saying we have it, but it is possible by the very virtue of being born again. Because the act of being born again is that we see and we enter into the kingdom. And it's a kingdom full of mysteries. The mysteries of the kingdom heaven is given. Okay, it is given to a certain group of people to know. It's given to them to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. So that should start 
Okay, you know when when we were children, and I also see the children like Abigail and all, all of them who read, no, Abigail, Joanna, Sarah, the other Joanna, all those reading group, no, they are fascinated by mystery books. Okay, in it Blyton and all of them, the mystery, and they don't put it down because there is a catch in this mystery. Sometimes you cannot. Hold your this thing so you go to the end of the book. <laughs> you go to the last page and okay, mystery solved. And then you go continue reading, no? So that same thing happens with us also. When we get all this thing, we go to the last two chapters, we read and come back. Okay. It is good at the end. The hero wins at the end. Okay, the hero wins at the end. So you know that this mysteries of the Bible. It's not given to all. It is given to some. And we will see the first condition for for having access, first condition is being born again. We see that the first condition, you need to be born again. If you are not born of the spirit, water and the spirit, by the word of God and the spirit of God, you cannot see. And if you cannot see, you cannot enter. If you cannot see, you cannot enter. All of you came here, it's because you saw. You so you were not led by somebody. You saw, you walked over, you opened the gate, you opened the door, you entered. You saw, therefore you entered. So the Bible says, unless you are born from heaven, you cannot see, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. First condition is that you have to be born again so that you enter. Second condition, it is given to those after entering, make a choice to be a disciple. He's talking to his disciples. He's not talking to his followers. Many believed in him, but he didn't speak to all of them. Okay? And you will always see that. We saw that, right? In Matthew um, uh, 5, 1 and 2, you will always see the difference, right? In Matthew, seeing the multitudes, he went upon a mountain. And when he was seated, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them. Whenever he saw the crowds, he would try to make a separation. And he made a separation sometimes physically. Okay, He went up a mountain. Or if it was on a seashore, what he did was that he got into a boat and told them to push it a little further. And you can be very sure the ones who are practically standing in the water and listening are the disciples. Okay, When he makes it a little difficult, are you really serious about this? Are you really, really serious about it? This is a very serious topic. It's a life-changing, eternal topic. So you will always see that the second thing is the call to discipleship. The call to disciple. First enter, second be a disciple. And then you go to Matthew 13 and verse 12. We saw 11, verse 12. For whoever has, to him more will be given. He will have abundance. Third condition is that if you want to have more of this revelation of the mysteries, once you become a disciple, you have to prove yourself that you are faithful. Prove yourself you have to be faithful. You have to be faithful. Okay, you have to be faithful. Matthew 25, 28 to 29. 28 to 29. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten. For everyone who has, more will be given. He will have abundance, but from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. So he's using the same words, same terminology, what he has used there. What was the one with that ten talents? He was faithful. He was faithful. Okay, He was faithful. So you need to realize, one, you need to be born again. 
Second, you need to become a disciple. Third, whatever has been committed into your hands, you know God has committed. We know three things God has primarily under three headings. He has given us talent. He has given us, sorry, he has given us time. He has given us ability and he has given us resources. And he is not looking at the quantity of it. But with these three, am I faithful? And then there is this fourth one. Also, you have to be careful. We look at verse 30, that same chapter. Hmm. Three, zero. Three, so next chapter, next verse. And cast the unprofitable servant. The fourth one is that, okay, you entered, you're a disciple, third, you're faithful, but then even among the faithful, some are more profitable. Who is more profitable to me? Is what God is looking at. So there were three servants, two were faithful, one was more profitable than the other. So God says, you know what, I'm also looking, I'm like a, like a businessman. I've given you time, I've given you ability, I've given you resources, I want to see who's more profitable to me. Who's more profitable to me. And these things matter. These things matter. If you look at a case study of a person in the Bible, if you want to look at it in this thing, on the road to Damascus, uh, Apostle Paul enters into the kingdom of God in ministry and you know, as a as a teacher in ministry and you know, as a as a teacher and as an older person in ministry. What I look at in young people is that do they have a zeal or a passion for anything? See you can't go life through with zeal for nothing. Zeal for something. You need to be zealous about something. It can be sports. I used to tell about, I tell you when I told uh, Pastor Vidya about Charan. You know, remember Charan? Charan was a different kind of boy. First thing he sees you, Grandpa, did he get me anything? Grandma, did he get me a bike? Did he get me a car? Did he get me? He was always putting things together into He was into it. So what you see that once he went over there and a particular thing was open for him, he was zealous and he just taken off. In life, you need to be zealous about something. See, everybody is not born into the kingdom. You are born into the world. And in the world, there are lots of facets, opportunities, lots of sport, lots of things are there. You need to be zealous about something. Because zeal is important. Problem is, people who are not zealous about anything, when they hear a gospel and when they are convicted and they are converted and enter in the kingdom of God, they have no zeal. You need to realize, Apostle Paul was extremely zealous for the law. And then when he encountered Jesus, he realized, I was absolutely wrong in my direction, but this is the right direction. And when he turned to Christ, he was absolutely zealous for Christ. Okay, And that is what is important, because zeal is a very neutral thing. But you need to be zealous for something. It does not matter. It can be even cooking. <laughs> But you should be zealous about it. Whatever it is, you need to be absolutely zealous about it. You know what? With the zeal for that thing comes lots of other things. You will try, you know, because you need to realize about this servant, God says, well done, good and faithful servant. You know, when you are zealous about something, you will try to do it well. You will. That's what the Bible says, be excellent in what is good. 
So what happens? You have a mindset which starts searching and learning more about that one thing. Let us say it is cricket. And cricket has many things. You can be a bowler, you can be a batsman, you can be a wicketkeeper, you can be a fielder. You will say, what's up with fielder? Everybody knows Jaunty Rhodes. Anybody who knows cricket knows Jaunty Rhodes. Okay? And you know what is they used to say about Jaunty Rhodes? Two-thirds... Two-thirds of the earth is covered by water and the rest by jaunty roads. You know what happened? I mean, nobody thinks about a fielder, but that man could save and win matches just by fielding. Why? Because he became excellent. Excellent in that one area. So you see, this is what we are talking about. Add to your faith virtue. Good sense of knowledge first. This is add to your faith virtue. What we do with children, what we do, like we have lots, our church is full of children, little children. They are blessed because they are born into believing homes. They will have an encounter with Jesus Christ later. Because right now, they don't have a personal encounter with Jesus Christ unless some of them have come through. But what the parents are called to do is imbibe, teach them these virtues. Virtues. So that when they encounter Jesus Christ, they don't have to struggle to learn these virtues like older people. See, all the epistles are primarily written to Gentiles. Because Gentiles never had the law. Therefore, they did not have these virtues of the kingdom of God. So they had to be told, oh, the one who did not uh, uh, steal, stop stealing. The one who did not work, start working. The one who was lying, stop lying. All these things had to be taught to them. So faith has come. The next 10 years is learning virtues. Mm -hmm. While the one who is coming through the law and was very zealous about the law has come with a life full of virtues. So as soon as faith is coming, he's not wasting time in his life. He's just taking off. We need to understand how these things matter. These things matter. Why? Because we are not just running a race temporal race. We are running for something that is eternal, where these things really matter. That's why don't look into today's world. Today's world, any goon, thug, can become anything. In the kingdom of God, none of those categories will ever rise. It will not possible. It will not. Because as important as faith is, so important is virtues. So these things matter. So you will need to realize that in the kingdom of God, God looks at these things. He says, you know, first enter. Be a disciple. Be a zealous disciple. Be faithful in the little, little things. Be profitable. No, it is not that my accounts are always balanced. God says, no, I don't want balance. I want profit. I want profit. I want profit. I'm looking. And look at Apostle Paul. He comes in. He has an encounter. He enters into the kingdom. He is zealous. He is faithful. He's a disciple. And you look at what he says in First Timothy one twelve. Okay. He says, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has enabled me because he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. Putting me into the ministry. Okay. Putting me into the ministry. Now you go to Acts chapter 19, verses, verse 10, and then verse 26. 
So this continued for two years so that all who dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. And verse 26, moreover you see and hear that not only at Ephesus, but throughout almost all Asia, this Paul, this Paul has persuaded and turned away many people. So you need to realize this man was extremely profitable to God. Extremely, he was not just someone you entered. He was not just zealous as a disciple. He was not only faithful, he was unbelievably profitable because he could be in one place for two years and preach and the whole Asia, the world is going without internet. It is reaching. By word of mouth, it is going. There is a man. I think he is in which in the in lecture hall of Tyrannus yes. in I forgot the place. No, he is there in that place, and he's standing there, and the word of God is going out. People are saying, you know what? This man convinces us to turn away from false gods. So he was very profitable, and he was not a great eloquent preacher or anything. He was not. He was not. He actually says he was not an eloquent preacher. But he was so dedicated to the cause. And if you go to Philippians chapter 1, 13 and 14 and then 4.22. Okay. 13 and 14. So that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. And most of the brethren in the Lord having become confident by my chains. So they, you know what? When they chain him, they chain him. You know what? You, you know that account about Peter being chained for sets of guards and they have ships and all. The problem with Peter is that you chain him, he will fall asleep. You chain Paul, all the guards will hear the gospel. So chaining him became a problem. But that's what he's saying. You know, one, the problem with chaining him is that Caesar's entire Caesarean guard, the royal bodyguards are here. If you go to the country called Bhutan, you have RBA, Royal Bhutan Army, RBP, Royal Bhutan Police, and you have something called RBG, Royal Bodyguards. That's a huge group itself because the royal family is so big. It's so huge. So, so Caesar's Praetorian Guard, they are called, are there in their hundreds and hundreds. You know what? The entire Praetorian Guard, the gospel has gone. I'm not saying they believed, but the gospel has gone through one man. Where to? Where it has reached? And he says, you know what? He has converts there in Caesar's household. All the saints greet you, but especially those who are of Caesar's household. So if you look at this man, he's extremely profitable to God. It's profitable to God. Okay? And that should be our prayer. Lord, I want to be a disciple. I want to be faithful. I want to be profitable for you. See, so these are prayers. These are prayers which we should pray. Okay? Because we are all running our own race. But in our own race, Lord, this is what I want to be. I want to be a disciple. I just don't want to be a follower or just a simple believer. I want to be a disciple. I want to be zealous for you. I want to be faithful. I want to be profitable. Okay? And then you know what happens. Because he was profitable, you will look in uh, Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 4, 1 and 2. So let, let a man consider us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. What did God make him? God made him a steward of the mysteries of God. 
though there are others in the Bible, like Peter and John and all, but he is the steward of the mysteries of God. All the mysteries of God, primarily the mysteries of God, we understand through this man. One man. We understand through this man. Why? Because he was a wonderful steward. He had these facets in his walk with God, in his character. So he became a steward of the mysteries of God. Why? Because he was found faithful. So if you go to Ephesians, right? Chapter 3, verse 3 and 4. Ephesians 3, verse 3 and 4. Oh, verse 4 is enough, okay? That by revelation he may known to me that mystery, as I have briefly written already, by which when you read you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. So there is something called the mystery of Christ. Okay? There's something called the mystery. There's the, there's the mystery of God, the mystery of the Father, and there's the mystery of Christ. If you go to Colossians chapter 4 and verse 3. Praying also for us that God would open to us a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in chains. If you go to Colossians 2, 2, also it is written, okay? Okay, their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, attaining to all the riches of the full assurance of understanding, to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ. So there's a mystery of God. There's a mystery of the fatherhood of God. There's a mystery of Christ in the Trinity. There are many mysteries over here. And you know what he's saying? I want you to know, because these have been revealed to me, I want you to know, because when you know this, your hearts will be encouraged. You will be knit together in love once you understand the mystery of the Father that we have, all of us have only one father. And he's not a respecter of person. He's not partial. He loves everyone. Everyone can be part of that family. Everyone is loved the same way. Everyone will be rewarded. Everyone can run and finish. You don't have to be like Jacob's children. You don't have to be envious and jealous and fighting one another. He says, no, you heart, if you understand the mystery of the Father of God, he says, you know what, you will be encouraged. You will be knit together in love. No? When we don't know these mysteries, what happens is that what you have is competition and friction and division. Everybody is jostling for space, pushing against each other. We're realizing this space really doesn't matter. What matters is what happens up there in eternity. That is going to be. And there, the judge is absolutely impartial. He will not judge by what he sees or what he hears. But in righteousness, he will judge everything. No? It, it changes how you look at life. And then, if you come to Ephesians 6 and verse 19, and for me, utterance may be given to me that I may open my mouth boldly to make known what? The mystery of the gospel. There is a mystery of God, the mystery of the Father, the mystery of Christ. It's a mystery of the gospel. The gospel is a mystery. Don't think we and I, after preaching all this year, still understand the gospel. How can a man come and preach and people get saved and go to heaven? I don't understand. I understand Shakespeare better. 
Pastor Vijay understands math better. Because there is logic in it. 1 plus 1 is 2. 2 plus 2 is 4. But here you come and say, no, repent, the kingdom of God is here. And then suddenly you see people surrendering their lives to God. And eternity you see they all entered. And the ones who have entered, before they entered, they were scumbags. How did this man enter? You have no clue. He's, he's a man who has been hang, hung there by the Romans for being a criminal. And he entered into paradise. And the ones who crucified him will never enter. The judge won't enter, the jury won't enter, the lawyers won't enter, this fellow entered. How do you understand this gospel? The gospel is a mystery. The gospel is a mystery. And she says, to make known, it can be known to us, the mystery of the gospel. We can understand the mystery of the gospel. The mystery of the gospel. So the gospel is a mystery. If you come to Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, 7 and 8. 7 and 8. We speak the wisdom of God in a mystery. The hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory, which none of the rulers knew. Of the age, of this age knew. For had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Meaning, you know what he's saying? The wisdom of God is a mystery. The wisdom of the world is not a mystery. With induction, deduction, you can understand the mystery of God. The wisdom of God is a mystery. The wisdom, it's a mystery. We don't understand how we don't understand. I mean, before it was revealed, now we have a knowledge after so much teaching, still we don't understand. But the cross was a mystery. It's a wisdom of God. The cross is a mystery. It's a wisdom of God. Okay? So the wisdom of God is a mystery. So there are, okay, talking, telling you, there are mysteries of the kingdom of God. The mystery of God. The mystery of the Father. The mystery of the Son. The mystery of the gospel. The mystery of the wisdom of God. The reason why I'm telling you is this is that sometimes when God tells you to do something, you don't understand because it's a mystery. But once it is over, you understand because it is a wisdom of God. It is a wisdom of God. When Moses was told to go stand before the Pharaoh just with a stick in his hand, you don't understand that. It is not the wisdom of the world because that is absolute total foolishness. But it is the wisdom of God. And it's a mystery. Okay. So we need to understand the wisdom of God is a mystery. It is, it is not like the wisdom of the world. The wisdom of the world we can understand. We can understand. But the wisdom of God is a mystery. Then you come down to Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 9. Having made to known to us. Remember, all is made known to us. That means we have to know it. It is given to us. It is not given to them. It is given to you. It is not made known to them. It is made known to you. What is made known to you? The mysteries of the kingdom of God. And we are already looking at the mystery of God, the Father, the Son, uh, the Gospel, and the mystery of the wisdom of God. The mystery of His will. His will is a mystery. It is only God who can have five billion children and have a separate will for each one. Separate will for each one. But if each one of them know and fulfill the will of God, it will walk like an army in unison. And nobody has to be jealous about anybody. 
the mystery of his will. Okay, his his will is a mystery. The mystery of his will. Okay, the next one, Romans eleven and verse twenty five. Romans eleven and verse twenty five. I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own opinion, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. The, it's a, Israel itself is a mystery. The blindness of Israel is a mystery. Meaning, you know what? A Jew can live with 39 books of the Bible all his life, read, meditate, go to the synagogue, day in and day out, pray and never know Christ. It's a mystery. The blindness of Israel is a mystery. The blindness of Israel is a, it's a mystery. How is that somebody, we are not talking about people who keep the Bibles to gather dust. We are not talking about them. We are talking about people who study and study and study and absolutely faithful to the old covenant. Never see Christ. They are blinded. The blindness of Israel is a mystery. Why have they been blinded? For the Gentiles to come in. It's a mystery. We don't understand. The mystery of Israel, we don't understand. Okay? And then, we saw that, Second Thessalonians 2, 7. What is that? It's the mystery of iniquity or lawlessness. The mystery of Iniquity or lawlessness. Remember? We saw these three things. Sin, iniquity and transgression. It is not sin that is dangerous. It is not transgression that is dangerous. It is iniquity that is dangerous. There is, it is easy to die, easy to deal with sin and iniquity. Okay? For sin, there is forgiveness. Iniquity, uh, sorry, for transgression, you need walls. But the problem is, you don't sin, you don't transgression, but iniquity is still there working, dormant it is working. And the day you get out of the fencing, iniquity manifests. It manifests. And you are not judged for your sin and your transgression. You are judged for your iniquity. It is iniquity that is visited. It doesn't visit the sin. I mean, if you want to put it as an example, my dear father, wonderful man he was, but he had one sin. He was an alcoholic. It didn't visit me. It didn't visit me. I grew up with him for 12 years with smoke all over the house. He used to smoke at least a packet a day, and he chewed tobacco. None of that visited me. So it is not sin that visits me. It is Iniquity that visits me. Okay. So you need to realize. You need to realize. So it is not sin. You could live in an atmosphere of somebody who is sinning, related to you, father or mother, sinning in a particular way. Okay. And it doesn't affect you at all. Affect you at all. Most of the things of my father, if I want to look, I'm not judging him, I'm just using it as an example of it, never visited me. He was an extremely violent man. I'm the most non-violent man on earth. I don't hit anybody. <laughs> I leave people to do, teach and live alone, do, lead your own life. I don't raise my hand. I don't do any of these things. Okay? So you need to realize his sin did not visit me. 
So therefore, I cannot say I am free. No, I will be still judged for my iniquity. My iniquity works out maybe in other ways. Okay, so we need to understand the mystery of iniquity. And it is working, it's working, it's working and working. Finally, it will be personified. We saw yesterday in the Nepali meeting. It will be personified in the form of the Antichrist. The beast on whom the woman writes. Okay, the woman is mystery Babylon. The woman is riding on the beast, meaning this Babylon system is empowered by the Antichrist, which is the beast. And who gave his power, throne, and authority to the beast? The dragon gave. Who was the dragon? It was Satan. So these things are happening before our eyes. Okay? So, let's go further. We saw in First Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. Okay? What is that? The mystery of godliness. Okay, there are five things over there. God manifested in flesh, justified in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among Gentiles, believed on in glory, and sixth one is received up in uh, world and received up in glory. What is that? It's a mystery of godliness. It's a mystery. Like you have this opposite force working. Okay, that is how it works. And this is taught this in so many different ways. He says the kingdom of God is like this man who planted his seed and when men were asleep the enemy came and sowed tares and his servants came and said, sir, we planted wheat but tares have come in. Shall we pull it out? He says, no. Wait till the harvest time. And when harvest time, he says, first pull out the tares, put the bundles aside, and then harvest the wheat. And how wheat is harvest, burn this thing off. And you go to the book of Revelation, he says, the harvest have come. Put the sickle, the harvest of the world has taken place. After that, he says, now is the harvest of the wrath of God. All this thing, meaning they're growing side by side. The wheat and the tares are, it's only at the harvest time you will realize they are different. But because in one, what is empowering is the mystery of iniquity. The other, what is empowering is the mystery of godliness. And finally, he goes all the way to the book of Revelation 22 and says, the one who is unjust, let him be unjust. The one who is just, let him be just. Who is filthy, let him be filthy. Who is righteous, let him be righteous. So you know this is happening and it will happen, happen, continue to happen. But when the end of the age comes, you will see it very, very clear. Do you know where you see it clear? Don't look at the world. You will get fooled. The world was always like this. The world was always like this. Look at the church. and Look at how the church is going. Are you looking at the church? As we come to the end of the church, the church has accepted everything. One church has accepted homosexuality, LGBTQ, transgender, every agenda they have accepted. Because you know what God is telling them? I'm showing you the difference between Laodicea and Philadelphia. Philadelphia had very little strength, but they refused to compromise on the word and they refused to deny my name. If you are in a church anywhere which is Philadelphia, you are blessed. But if you are in Laodicea because you are part of the tear, they have compromised, they have given in, given in. The, it has come in. And you know what God is showing in the, the church was never like this for 2,000 years. Please remember, the church was absolutely orthodox. Even the Catholic church was orthodox. 
2000 years. They may have fundamental difference, but when it came to these fundamental principles, no church agreed on abortion, non-church agreed on any of these things. Today, most of the mainline churches have fallen across into that side, the big names. Their founders would be rolling in their grave. They know what they have descendants have become. You know what? God, so People look at say, so iniquity is growing in the world. No, the world is always like that. We are talking about the church. We're talking Because it is in the same field where the seed was sown. Not in the world. Where in the field where the seed was sown was the tares were sown. It's in the church. The church where the tares are sown. Okay? So please understand this is how we know. This is the mystery of iniquity and the mystery of godliness working, okay, working, empowering two different sides. And then Ephesians chapter 5 verse 31 and 32. Okay, for this reason a man shall leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. 32, this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. This is the mystery of Christ's relationship with the church. Mystery. So marriage is put across as an example of a mystery. How can two people become one? Because the church and Christ are one spirit. Okay? One spirit. One spirit. It's a mystery. The church is a mystery. Okay? So as Christ is a mystery, there is a mystery of the church. Mystery of the church. So church is a mystery. Then you come to Revelation 1 and verse 20. The mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. And the seven lampstands which you saw are the seven. Even as a church is a mystery, there are angelic powers entrusted to watch over churches, which is a mystery. There are angels assigned by God to watch his churches. Not only just individuals, but even churches. It's a mystery. The mystery of the seven stars you saw in my right hand. What is that seven stars you saw in my right hand? He says the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. Okay, so there is this angel, there is this lampstand, and there are the flames. The lampstands are on earth. I said it earlier a lot, but if you read the book of Revelation, the flames are up. So don't look at the church. Oh, wow, mega church. Look if it is burning up there. Look if it is burning up there. Whether its light is being shown over there or its light has gone out. These are, these are all mysteries in the Bible. You know what? But we can know. And in First Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 51, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep but we shall be all changed. This is the mystery of rapture or when the corruptible puts on the incorruptible, the mortal becomes immortal. We receive our glorious bodies. Everyone who's been waiting from Abel onwards, everyone receives their bodies together. So this is a mystery. How can this body be changed where we see no corruption anymore? It's a mystery. And then we see in Revelation 17, verse 5, 7, 7, and then 5, okay, 7. The angel said, why do you marvel? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast that carries her. 
Okay, there's a woman, and the beast is carrying her. And verse seven say, five says, "Who is she? She is mystery Babylon, the great mystery Babylon. The spirit has been working on from the time of Nimrod." Please remember, I said before Noah is post Noah, governmental systems come into being because God is in charge. And before Noah, God never spoke in terms terms of governmental laws. It is post Noah when he comes out, laws in terms of governing a society is being given. Okay, therefore, once it's, this is given, before that there were clans and this thing and all that, but primarily there were no civil laws as such. That's why every man's thought and inclination all became evil. Iniquity took very short time. In ten generations, iniquity had taken over where God had to destroy everybody. Now, post that, iniquity has not reached that far because laws were given. Anyone who should sheds man's blood, he should be executed. Laws are being given. And once laws are given and governmental structures are coming in, immediately you see Nimrod coming in and Babel coming in. Babylon begins. Babylon. The devil gets into that structure and creates what is called mystery Babylon, which has been ruling from then till now. It's continuing. It's a mystery Babylon. It's a mystery. The government structure is a mystery. It's a mystery. And it is hidden. They don't want these things to be revealed. How inside things work, they don't want us to know because there is a spiritual component about it. They don't want anybody to know about it. It's mystery Babylon. And then, all these mysteries, 1 Timothy 3.9. Okay, all, there is this mystery of God. In that heading comes all these mysteries, the kingdom of God mysteries. How do you and I receive the knowledge of these mysteries? It is by faith. And faith is a mystery. Faith is a mystery. It's by faith. It's by faith. If you come to Ephesians 3 and verse 3. 3, 3, that by revelation he made known to me the mystery. You need to realize, remember, we had looked on, on a Wednesday, okay? Give me the spirit of wisdom and revelation. You have wisdom, you have revelation, you receive then understanding, and with understanding is not enough. You have to take a step of faith and say, I believe and I obey what I understand by faith. That is where faith comes in. You can have it all and still walk away. Still walk away. Still walk away. Still walk away. That is where faith comes in. Because what does Hebrews 11.3 says? By faith we understand. We understand. It is by faith we understand. Faith is what links these two worlds. The world of the unseen and the world of the seen. And you stand in the world of the seen, first you need the mystery by without revelation, you will not understand the mystery. Okay? Mystery. Like like example we used, right? Six hundred years before Jesus was born, it was told, A virgin shall give birth. Prophet said, Prophet had no clue what he was saying. He said it, left it. It is standing there for six hundred years. Nobody understood it. Then 
small little town village in Bethlehem, the angel Gabriel comes and tells a woman, highly favored, blessed are you among all women. And she's wondering what kind of a greeting is this? And he says, you have been chosen. You shall give birth to your son. And she said, how can that be? How can that be? I have not known man. And then in Luke one thirty five, he says, he tells her, you know what? Now that the, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that the Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. What was declared through the prophet, the mystery, is being revealed now. Revealed now. The question is, she has heard, she has received a revelation, she doesn't fully understand, but now it is hanging over there. Will you step out by faith? Now comes the faith and she says, let it be unto me according to your way. Now it is complete. It's complete. You can have a revelation and you can have a kind of an understanding. This is how it is going to happen. You see, until this is told in Luke one thirty-five, nobody had any clue how this was going to happen. Because it is impossible in the ways of man. It is impossible with the understanding of a man for a virgin to have birth, to conceive. But now you are receiving through revelation an understanding of what is going to happen. And what does she say? Let it be unto me. That's where the faith comes in. By faith, we understand. When she said, let it be unto me according to your faith come in. And you know what? She understood. Why? She conceived. The invisible came into the visible. She conceived. So now you have the proof of your faith. Why? You have now. It's what you say. The proof of the pudding is in the eating. It has become real for you. And that's where faith comes in. That's why we, we speak about faith, 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 faith. But you need to realize that this faith is a, is, it's, it's a journey. It is a life. And what it does, it, it unlocks the mysteries of the kingdom of God. And the more you understand these mysteries, you know, what you realize is that like Jesus Christ, we learn to love Above our circumstances. Above our other circumstances will overwhelm us. We'll go into depression. We'll go into depression. But you have to live above our circumstances. You know what? We need to live by faith. But these are the parameters set over there. So God says, now, Paul says, now that I have been by revelation, I have received these mysteries, I am a steward of the mysteries of God. Okay? He's no longer just a searcher. He's a custodian of the mysteries of God. And he says, God demands that I be faithful. Because this mystery is for everybody. This is not for hide. Oh, I received a mystery. Let me hide it. I won't show it to anybody. No, it is to teach everybody. I have to be faithful to see that I pass it on to the least, the simplest in the kingdom, to the everybody. I have to make it known to everybody. So I have to be faithful. And that is why he was faithful and he became profitable. And the Bible says all of Asia in two years heard. Without the advantage of modern technology, it went by word of mouth. Why? Because he was a very faithful steward of the mysteries of God. And that is what God is demanding us. And you need to realize this is where anything that you do, let it be anything. 
Let it be anything. You pick any career. I'm talking about a God-chosen career for you. This is God's will for you. This is God's purpose for you. And I'm telling you, in that purpose for you, there is the kingdom. And in that kingdom is a mystery. And that mystery is what will make you profitable to God. It's a mystery. And you have to discover it yourself. You'll be proud. Esther was just a young virgin. And she was taken to the king's palace. She had no choice. But being in the king's palace to become profitable to God, there was a mystery. Why am I here? And she hears from Mordecai. For such a time and a season, you are put here. And if you ignore this, salvation will come from another source, but you and your father's house will not escape. She said, I will fast. And I will pray with my maids. I will fast and pray with my maids for three days. Let me ask you this question. Can you understand the influence of this young girl that by that time her maids are fasting with her? Her maids are fasting. Her Gentile maids are fasting with her. Her influence has already gone into her first circle. And then on the third day, he goes to the king and the thing starts moving. And you know what happens? The mystery of God's will in her life is revealed. She has been put there to save Israel. The mystery of God's will is revealed in her life. So there is a mystery of God's will in everybody's life. Mystery of God's will in everybody's life. And you have to discover it. You have to discover it. And it is made known. It is not that it is hidden. But it does not mean it will not be revealed. It is hidden for it to be revealed. And each one has to discover. And you know what happens? You be, And you don't look at the world. You don't look at what the world says. What you do is you impact the kingdom. You impact the kingdom. You become part of God's kingdom purpose. That is the whole purpose. That Lord, I have to fit into my slot. I have to fit into my slot. Okay. But there is a statutory warning, I have to tell you, very carefully. Okay. If you go to Second First Corinthians chapter thirteen and verse two. And then we go to Galatians five six. Though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries. What does Paul say? I have the gift of prophecy. I understand all mysteries and all knowledge, though I have all faith, so I could remove mountains, but have not love. I am nothing. This is the statutory warning. The warning is this. You could understand all mysteries. But the kingdom of God is grounded on something called love. Because God is love. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision matters, avails anything but faith working through love. So you have to be very, very careful because in the world, the more mysteries you know, you become secluded, isolated, eccentric, hair walking, and no, no, no. In the kingdom of in the kingdom of God, people are very normal, absolutely grounded and normal because you realize the entire purpose of the revelation of all of this is to minister in love to the people, not to get a PhD, doctorate in divinity. No, that is not the purpose. You have to be very, because this is where the whole issue comes, because the whole issue comes over here is that we can take things of the 
take off the kingdom of God, then end, end up like somebody in the world. And you will be judged for it. So, remember, even if you know all the mysteries, if you do not go back there, yeah, 13.2, 1 Corinthians 13.2. Okay? Though I have the gift of prophecy, I understand all mysteries, all knowledge, though I have all faith, so that I could remove, but have not love. I am nothing. It's not that I am just little, I am something. No, you are nothing. That's a very powerful thing. Okay, very, very strong language. What am I? I am nothing. Okay, I am nothing. Okay, so we need love. We need love. We need faith. Faith working through, not just faith working. Faith works. It's true. Faith works. Faith moves mountains. Faith works. Okay? Faith works. Joshua brought, Joshua brought the walls of Jericho down. Okay? Faith works. The question is, ultimately God says, what did it work through? What did it work through? Is the question. How did it work? What did it work through? Okay? Because we will look at the read of the book of Joshua and look at all his conquests and how we killed and destroyed everything and all. Then you look at Moses and you look at Moses. I mean, you seem to have done nothing for 40 years in the wilderness, just taking a set of people round and round and round. But yet God says, you know what? He was the most faithful of all my servants. And the Spirit of God says through Moses, God will send somebody just like me. So what was the difference between Moses and Joshua? Moses was an extremely loving man. Joshua was not. I'm telling you from scripture you read. Joshua was not. Because that's what war does to you. You start losing your compassion. Moses was extremely merciful and kind. Because first thing about love is love is kind and suffers long. And Moses was willing to have his name removed from the book of life to get the others in. Okay, so Moses was not just a man of faith, who was a man of faith who and same is Apostle Paul. Apostle Paul. He says, If my name could be taken out and these Jews who beat me up every place I go, if you can put them into this, I would be fine, he says. So you have to be extremely balanced in this thing when you throw life because you know what we hear is faith, 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 faith. Yes, we need faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. But after having done all these things in faith, if it was not ultimately worked in love, God says you are still nothing. Still nothing. So get this balance in, extreme balance in. Okay? So faith is a mystery. Faith is a mystery. It's a mystery. Faith is a mystery. But we need that mystery. We need faith and we need love. Love is not so much of a mystery. You read First Corinthians chapter 13 and you start understanding what is this love God talks about. Not what the world talks about. But oh God, you can understand love from that and just say, okay, I, I, see, I don't seem to have this. I need to have little of that, but I don't have this. I don't have this at all. You can understand love from First Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4 to 8, you say, and then we go to Romans 12 and all. You can understand love quite simply because you need love to live your daily lives, whether you are a Gentile, Jew, 
or a Christian. You need love. But faith is a different thing altogether. Faith is a mystery. Faith is a mystery. It's very easy to look at people after you have lived with them for two or three or four years and you say, so that one is loving, that's not very loving. It's very easy to say. But faith you don't know. Faith you do not know. You do not know about faith. The one who may look as if he has absolutely no faith, like Gideon, may be the next one who actually brings the enemies of Israel down and brings deliverance. But when you saw him, you didn't see any faith at all. But whether he's loving or not, just go to his home, you will know. And how he interacts with people, you will know. So love can be known. But faith is a mystery. And in this mystery of faith, it has its fundamentals. The first fundamental is this, Jude 1, three. Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. In this words, it actually means our core beliefs. You cannot. The entire downfall of the 21st century church is because we moved from our core beliefs. You cannot. This one stand for our meaning. It can never change. It can never change. These are fundamental core beliefs of our faith. And you know what? You have to contend for it. You have to fight for it. Personally and in the public realm if the Lord puts you in that place. And that is what Second Timothy 4.7 Paul is talking about. You know what he's talking about in second? I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. But the third part, I have kept the faith. He says, I never ever waver from the fundamentals of my faith. Never uncompromising in the fundamentals. Okay. That is the first facet of it. Because if you don't know your fundamentals, if you do not know your fundamentals, you know, it's like math. <laughs> the most important part of math is not a PhD in math. Very few people get it. It's the first five or six years of your schooling in math. Do you know addition? Do you know subtraction? Do you know multiplication? Do you know division? You know these four. You can live life. But if you do not know these four, it doesn't matter who you are. You will not succeed in life. Because every day, day-to-day life includes these things. You have to add some things. You have to subtract some things. You have to multiply some things. You have to divide some things. These are fundamentals. These fundamentals you cannot... And when I talk to pastors from Hebrews 6, verse 1 and 2 and 3, they don't know their fundamentals. Repentance from dead works, works that lead to death or dead works, faith towards God, doctrine of baptism, the laying of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. They don't know their fundamentals. If you do not know and your core beliefs in these six areas are grounded in Scripture, you're going to struggle. You're going to struggle. And if you waver in one of these things, it will have its effect. Doctrine of baptisms, not baptism. But for the Baptist, there is only one baptism. But the Bible says there's a doctrine of baptism. So when you stick to only one, you miss the others. It will have a long-term impact on your life. Impact on your life. If you don't believe like... In the resurrection of the dead, you are a Sadducee. 
you're a Pharisee, you're a Sadducee, because then, okay, because look, Christendom has gone wonky now. Okay, and if you don't understand that term, eternal judgment, not judgment, resurrection of the dead and judgment. No, it is called eternal judgment, meaning that judgment is eternal. You can't change it. If people knew my life on earth is going to eternally determine destiny, they would live differently. Immediately they will change. Christians would change. You know what? It is going to be decided eternally once and for all. It's called eternal judgment. It's not about judgment. There is no appealing. There is no higher court of... There is nothing you can do about it. It is set forever. So these are fundamental. This is the first facet of our faith. It is core. What is it? You have to condemn for your faith all your life. Why? Because all around the attack is on this. Attack is on this. The authority of the word of God. The person of Jesus Christ. It is constantly attacked and mocked and you have to stand there and say, you know what? They overcame him by the blood of the lamb, by the word of their testimony and they did not love their lives even unto death. And that's what he tells the Philadelphia church. He says, you had, you had very little strength, but you kept my word and you did not deny my name. And to Smyrna he says, you are in prison because of my word. They say you are poor. Actually, you are rich. Be faithful unto death. To what? To your core beliefs. Don't change. Don't change. Don't change. You'll have to be willing to pay a price if it comes. And that's the first core belief. First core belief is the fundamentals of our faith. The second part of our fundamental about faith is the active component. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Anyone who comes to God must believe that he is... Beyond that core beliefs, you have to make it into the active component of your life. You have to come to God each day. And when you come to God, you must believe that He is. You have to. Each time when you come, you have to live your life as God is as visible as somebody else in your house. As real as somebody who is visible. That's what it means. That is the active component about faith. You have to believe that he is. Not that he will be. Or he was. He is. He is. That's the active component. Because that is ultimately we learn little by little by little. And then we have a life of faith. Life of faith. The active component cannot be taken out. If you take it out, like I said, no, the ownership of God is the first thing. He is the honor. Who is the honor? Who is the Lord? The first thing. And the second thing is that... The honor is absent. And the honor takes a long time to go. He's only absent in the visible. He's not absent in the invisible. He's not absent in the invisible. You know what Paul says in Philippians 2, verse 11 and 12? You know what he says? And he's using this same metaphor or example. Philippians yeah, 2, 11 and 12. Okay, you know what he says about the church in Philippi or to the churches? Yeah, he's writing. Uh, yeah, come. Is it two or three? Yeah. yeah. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. I mean, it's an awesome thing. 
Now he's saying, you used to obey when I am there and you're obeying when I am absent. He says, no, you're obeying even more when I am absent. What kind of a church is this? <laughs> pastor is not there, they're even more obedient. When pastor is there, they come at 8.55. When pastor is not there, they come at 8.45. That's what he's saying. Even much more in my absence. And he says, walk out. You know what he's saying? You're a very faithful church. So the absence of God is not going to change anything. Because you know he's present. He's present. His delay is not going to make any difference because you know he's coming. When he's coming, you do not know. That delay is only a presumption. When he went, when he went, he did not say, I will delay. When he went, he said, behold, I come quickly. Please remember this. He did not say, I am coming. My coming is delayed. He actually said, behold, even in Revelation 22, behold, I come. And the bride and the spirit say, Maranatha, Lord, come. So he did not say his delay. <laughs> he did not say his delay. Okay. Behold, I am coming quickly. That is another facet of your faith. Okay, That's the facet of your faith. Believing, believing that he is. And the third facet of the faith is what we back off from. You cannot back off from that. Which is called the battle of faith. The battle of faith. The trials, the testing, and the temptations. These are all part of this will only happen if you are moving forward. That's why God says, my righteous shall live by faith. But if anyone draws, when is he drawing back? He is drawing back from trials. He is drawing back from testing. The minute you draw back, okay, in army you can, after a few years of service, you can ask for a home posting. God says in the kingdom of God, there is no home posting. It is always battlefront. You can. If you ask for a home posting, he will disqualify you. There's no home posting. Home posting is there. Home is there. If you ask God for a home posting, you're asking to die early. Okay, so get this picture very, very clearly. Because this is how you know. You have to look at your trials. You have to look at your battles you are facing. These are battles. We are not talking about normal battles. We are talking about battles of faith because you are actively involved in the kingdom. In the kingdom of God. You are not actively involved so much in the world, but you are actively in the world. You are involved in the kingdom of God and battles come. Battles comes. And when that comes, the Bible says, you know what? He says, I have fought. No, that is a battle of faith in First Timothy 6.12. We know it's 2, 4, 7, but First Timothy 6, 12. Fight the good fight of faith. Okay. You know why this is important? It is, it is through grace, um, by grace, through faith, we got saved. When we got saved, is what happened is we started partaking of the eternal life. It is through the battle of faith we start partaking more and more of the life of God. If you don't fight, you won't partake of God's life. You won't partake of God's life. God's life is partook through the battles of faith. 
So when we read Hebrews 11, they did by faith, by faith, by faith. You know who's doing it? It's God doing it. They're partakers of the life of God. But if by faith is not there, they're just like anybody else in their times. Okay? Abel and Cain. Abel was different because by faith. Enoch and so many hundreds of others. Enoch was different because by faith. Noah and tens and thousands, but by faith. When by faith is in, in used in the Bible, what you partake of is the very life of God. Because that's where the transference takes place. That's the mystery of faith. You know what's the mystery of faith? The mystery of faith is you partake of the life of God. Jesus vicariously lives through you. He lives through you. That's the mystery of faith. So, but there is a battle. There's always a battle. The battle is with your flesh. The battle is with your flesh. Because your flesh likes battles, but not battles of faith. When the battle of faith comes, the flesh wants to withdraw. So you have to fight your flesh. And you have to fight the world system because the world system will start intimidating you. Like we have seen from Daniel 6, right? For one man, they changed the law of a nation. 127 provinces. India has only around 30 states. But she had 127 states. Huge, stretching from Israel all the way to India. They changed the law of this entire nation for one man to stop him praying. What did that man do? He went and prayed. First he had to fight his flesh. Then he had to fight the world system. And he overcame both. The Bible does not say he knelt and he prayed, which would mean that he overcame his flesh. The Bible says he opened his windows towards Jerusalem and prayed. So what did he do? He overcame his flesh and he overcame the world by saying, I will not do this hidden. So he overcame both. Some There are times when you have to do these things. You know why? You are telling the enemy, I will not buckle in this battle. There is no going back. There is no drawing back. I've set my hand on the plow. There is no going back. There is no turning back. These are the battles of faith. And final for today. Actually, there's lots. But we have lots of time to study. Okay? KJV. I want KJV. 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 25. Every man that striveth for mastery. Okay? Mastery. You know what? The Bible says, you can come to a point where you have mastery in faith. How to live by faith. That is Jesus. Mastery of faith. Okay? Goes to sleep. Wake. When he wakes up, be still. Oh, I need to fast for two days before I can nothing. He is living by faith. That's the whole thing. No, I mean, I don't know whether Pastor Vijay does it. I'm sure he does it. We were all done this day. When you had to learn something, especially in poem or math, one of the things our parents used to do is that wake us up when you are sleeping and tell us, ask us to repeat it. That means you know it. That's why, unlike him, who had believing parents, so he learned all the Telugu hymns and scriptures and all, I learned all nursery rhymes. 
Even today I know my Nasr rhymes. No? And tables. You wake up and suddenly at one in the morning you're woken up and six, six, thirty six and go back to sleep. <laughs> okay. In 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 science, uh, medical science, you call it what is called reflex action. I, as far as I understand my biology from school days, the, the, it comes from your spine. It doesn't even come from your head. Because you don't, you, one, you don't have time to think. Second, you don't need to think. Okay? It's muscle memory. Okay, I have more new terms are there. Faith, faith has become your default setting. Faith has become your default setting to the point when challenges come. You're no longer reacting by sight. You are reacting by faith. You know, you are reacting by faith, you know. And that is, if you look at Joshua chapter 1, and you progress, progress, and you will see he failing, rising, rising. By the time a point will come, Joshua says, sun stop, moon stop. And the Bible says there was never a day like this before or after when God listened to a man. God listened to a man. You know what? Joshua is not asking. He's not receiving a revelation. He's just standing there by faith and saying, stop, and God listen to him. Now what has happened to Joshua is he has received a mastery in faith. Mastery of faith. He has learned. Okay, He has learned how to win his battle. You will see after I, he's never defeated. He's <coughs> Never defeated. He's never defeated. Okay, And that's what God is talking about. So we have to get this one. There are mysteries. I gave you around 14 mysteries today. There could be more. Okay, But if you read the Bible, if I'm right, in the first 39 books of the Old Covenant, the word mystery is not used. The word mystery is used only in the New Covenant because the mysteries are revealed only in the New Covenant. The old covenant prophets spoke as the spirit moved them. They did not understand anything. They did not understand anything. They spoke. What they spoke was mysteries. They were all unlocked in the new covenant. But it is given to us. So today I have whetted your appetite. And the thing is that, you know what? The kingdom of God is full of mysteries. Full of mysteries. And it is given to us. It is made known to us. So today decide, I am in the kingdom. Lord, I want to be a disciple. I want to be a disciple. Two, I want to be counted faithful. Three, I want to be counted profitable on that day. I want to be counted profitable on that day. I want to be counted profitable. And I want to be a steward of the mysteries of God. Lord, he's not, he's not, he, see, there's a difference. He's not saying, I want to be a student of the mysteries of God. No, <laughs> he says, I'm a steward. I already know. It has been given to me by revelation. He has revealed it to me. Okay, so that's how we look and we shall, we shall pray. Because if we don't focus on the kingdom, we will get disturbed. We will get disturbed. We will get disturbed in this country. This country is like going to the Literally to the dogs, the way this country is going. Unbelievable these things can happen in a country which is supposedly democratic. 
Every opposition government, they are trying to bring it down, one way or other. They tried in Telangana, now ED rates are going in Jharkhand. Everywhere they are trying to bring it. They don't care for constitutional norms at all. We will buy and bring governments down. We don't care. And you look at it and say, what's happening in this country? <laughs> Where did we begin? Where have we reached in 75 years? <laughs> right? Like History actually says, when India became free, if Gandhi wanted, he could have become king. He refused even to take a ministerial post. He said, no. He didn't take a government bungalow. He took nothing. It was he who actually made Nehru press prime minister. That's where we started. Today, where have we ended? We are living in extremely dark times and days. And you cannot live like an ostrich with your head in your sand. Because you know what? We have been given something. The kingdom. And the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk. It's a matter of power. It's a matter of power. The kingdom is power. And you don't have to change India. Just change the atmosphere in which you walk. You are living in. You need to realize, you know what? Where I walk, where I step, where I love, I control through the Spirit of God my atmosphere, not you. Powers of darkness, I control. Where I am, it will be a peaceful place. Where I am, I will have open heavens. You will not control my destiny. I may not be able to change my nation, but I will change my circle, where I stand. That's where you begin. And when God says, sees that in your faith life, in your prayer life, you're faithful in that. He says, you know what? I will increase your... It is like a stone you throw in a lake. You know, when you throw a stone in the lake, it's just a small ripple. But if you go to the other end of the lake, wait for a little time, the ripple reaches there. But you know why it happened? Because you threw. You threw. So you are faithful in small things. Very small things and little things. You know what God will do? He will put you in charge of bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. You have to be. And that's destiny. That is destiny. That's our destiny. To be, you know what? Kingdom people. Come, let's have Peter. Let's have Peter. <laughs>